So as I mentioned, Jesus was trying to convey a lot of things in, in John 13. After he had washed the disciples' feet, he shared this. This is John 13, verse 21. John 13. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began to look at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, including Judas. If you were washing Judas's feet, would you scrub a little hard? <laughs> Rascal. And yet Jesus did this, and, and up to the very end, it seems like he was giving Judas opportunities to come to his senses, even though we know Judas wouldn't. And Jesus started to talk about love. He told them in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? Even as I have loved you, so you should love one another. By this, all men will know that you belong to me, that you are my disciples. We shouldn't just get along. We should love each other. If I asked you this morning, if the mark of your discipleship is love for God's people, for your brothers and sisters in Christ, if that is one of the preeminent marks that you belong to Jesus, can I just ask you, how do you think you're doing? What does it mean to love? Well, Jesus has been showing them for three, three and a half years what it means to love. And it means to be patient. And it means to reach out to those who maybe nobody else is willing to reach out to. And it means to start, stop arguing about which one of you is going to be the greatest because it's about God being the greatest. You know, the church would go so much farther, and I'm talking about the church all around the world, if we would just do this one thing, if we would just love well, the rest would take care of itself. But often we're worried about putting ourselves forward and, you know, what our position is going to be and how people are going to think of us. And look, the disciples did the very thing and they had spent all this time with Jesus. He said, look, I want you to love each other. Don't just get along. In the Philippian church, we aired uh, Philippians 4 on the radio this morning on KKLA. And there were two women in the church in Philippi, you Euodia and Suntuke, and Paul said, I want them to live in harmony in the Lord. You know, tonight, when we look at the subject of Wicca and witchcraft, we're going to find out that a lot of people go to other religions out the back door of the church. Do you know the biggest feeder of the cults and the occult is the Christian church? Now, it's not always because we're failing, but a lot of the people who end up in cults and the occult have had a bad experience in the church. And usually, it's about the church being hyper-legalistic, telling people, you're going to hell for this, you're going to hell for that. Some of our well-meaning brethren who don't understand grace, they don't understand the gospel a lot of people leave the church with a bad taste in their mouth. And they don't go and become atheists, folks. They go to other religions. They go to the cults and the occult. And they leave the back door of many churches. And Jesus is going to have that happen to him with Judas. But Judas was never, obviously, a true convert. He was a devil from the beginning. But he was with Jesus all that time. He heard the same sermons, saw the same miracles, and yet he was never converted. And I'll say this, as I was listening to this testimony from this woman, she said, you know, she questions her conversion. She says, I was in the church, but I'm not sure I knew Jesus. I, going to church was just something we did on Sundays. And that can become a cultural danger for the United States. We go to church on Sundays, but are we the church? <laughs> it's not about going to church, it's about being the church. 
And so if you flip over to John 15, as Jesus is talking to them about heaven, and one of the things that was on his heart was friendship and love. John 15, 12, he says, this is my commandment, John 15, 12. It's not a suggestion, by the way. It's a commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, John 15, 13, that one laid down his life for who? For his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves or servants, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all things that I've heard from my father. I've made known to you. I haven't hold, held back one thing. I call you friend. Now, Jesus is God in human flesh, second person of the Holy Trinity, and he looked at his apostles and he said to them, you are the ones who have stood, be in my, stood by me in my trials, but that night they would all flee. Peter would deny that he even knew the Lord three times, right? He says, you are my friends. We have a great friend in our God. Do you know that when we come to the throne of grace, we're coming to not only our king, but our friend. We're going to dig that out a little bit as we move over to 2 Samuel, a true friend and a traitor. As David was dealing with the trial of his life, his son was trying to usurp the throne. One of his trusted counselors named Ahithophel would become a traitor in David's life. And this would picture what would happen in Judas, and we'll, we'll take a look at that together. A true friend and a traitor. We're going to pick up the text in 2 Samuel 16, 15. Just a little backdrop. The word then opens verse 15. Here's a quick recap. David was in the trial of his life. Absalom had stolen the hearts of the people and now wanted to steal the throne. He was on the way to the city of Jerusalem with major reinforcements. David had quickly gathered up his loved ones and those who were loyal to him, and he left the city. He went out of the city, crossed the Kidron Valley, and as I mentioned, he was going into the area of the Garden of Gethsemane, going into the Mount of Olives. And so Absalom had Ahithophel with him. As David went out of the city, he had heard this news. Ahithophel has joined the rebellion. Imagine your most trusted counselor turning their back on you. Imagine someone that you had gone to for advice on multiple occasions and trusted this person and now they have turned their back on you. David heard that along the way and then Shammai came out of the woodwork in one of the hills. He, he was there and he began to curse David and throw stones at David. And do you remember? He was yelling, murderer, murderer. And some of the uh, soldiers who were with David said, let's just end this. Let's shut this guy up right now. And David said, no, leave him alone. Maybe the Lord has told him to say this. And so he was screaming at David and people were weeping and it was heavy, very heavy. Absalom and all the people, verse 15, the men of Israel entered Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of David. And here's the hurtful truth. Ahithophel was with Absalom. One of David's best friends, most trusted advisors had joined the coup. Hard to take. And you can see the parallel between what Jesus was going through and what David was going through a thousand years earlier. In these, in these times, many psalms were penned. One of them is Psalm 61. Let me just read it for you. This is verses one through four. David says, Hear my cry, O God. Give heed to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to thee. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy. Let me dwell in thy tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of thy wings. Selah, that means pause, meditate, think about it. It's interesting that for David, the one that was disciplining him, which was God, and he knew it, was also the one who had become his refuge. Now, I don't understand all the angles of every trial that we go through. And sometimes we may think that we're in a trial because God's disciplining us. And not every trial is God's discipline. 
Some trials just happen and God still exploits them for his good purposes. But David knew that this trial was from the hand of God and he still ran to God in the trial to be his best friend. You see, when we are in a trial, we can run to God or run from God. It's hard to run into the arms of the one who's given you a spanking. <laughs> Amen? How many of you have read parenting books over the years and uh, you, know, you know you have to hold that firm line of discipline and you have to follow through. If you say you're going to discipline your child, you have to follow through. But then after you discipline them, you're supposed to hug them and explain to them why. It can be a very tender thing. One of my children, who will go unnamed for political purposes, <laughs> was a bit of a rebel. Strong-willed. How many of you have some strong-willed children? He was, you open the book, and there was his picture. Bling! Strong-willed. So I had read a book on we're having issues with bedtime. So I thought we had an understanding. And I was trying to apply some of these principles, and I said to this young man, now, you need to stay in your bed. If you get out of your bed, daddy gonna spank you. And I showed him. Okay. Big eyes. Thought we had an understanding. So I turned the lights off. We prayed. I began to walk down the hallway. And to my surprise, <laughs> there he was. Now, this is critical time because you just said, if you get out of that bed, daddy gonna spank you. If you don't spank, guess what? He's not going to believe you anymore. So a couple of smacks on the backside. Yes, it's true. It, it does work. It's biblical. You just have to do it the right way. The board of correction to the seat of understanding, as you've heard. Right? So did that. Tears, right? Held him. Okay, now I told you, right? I told you. Okay, I love you. All right, now, stay in this bed. Because if you get out of this bed, <laughs> light goes off, close the door, walking down the hallway, and I heard a strange noise behind me. <laughs> no, it's not you again. Well, we went through the process about three times. <laughs> and then, pray tell, miracle of miracles, he stayed in his bed. See, he began to get the notion that daddy wasn't playing. And he stayed. And yet, in the discipline, I was also giving him comfort. Do you know that there's comfort in the reality that someone loves you enough to tell you the truth, to hold you accountable? Do you surround yourself with people who tell you what you want to hear or what you need to hear? Now, I look out at a bunch of faces who attend Living Truth Christian Fellowship, and I think you're the kind of people who appreciate what you need to hear, because you wouldn't be coming here if you only came here for what you want to hear because I never tell you what you want to hear, do I? In fact, I've heard some talk around the church that you'd like me to speed up the conclusion of 2 Samuel. How many of you have? <laughs> There's an honest man. How long are we going to be in this book? It's a bummer. Is David ever going to get a break? Can't we go to Ephesians and talk about grace? No. <laughs> this is where we are. This is where we will stay. Anyway. In verse 15, then Absalom and all the people. Sometimes when we're going through a trial, it seems like the world is against us. Now, not all the people were with Absalom, but he had a big group. He had won the hearts of the people of Israel. Sometimes when we're going through a trial, it feels like we, ha we have no friends. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, Jesus says, 
John 16, 32 and 33. Each to his own home to leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Do you know that Jesus said that famous verse, John 16, 33, uh, in the world you'll have trouble, be of good courage, I've overcome the world. Right after he said, you're all gonna be scattered and leave me alone, yet I am not alone. You know, Jesus was 100% human, so he did feel the betrayal. He did feel what Judas did to him, humanly speaking. It hurt. He did feel what Peter did to him by denying him three times. It hurt him, just like it hurts you. So when you go to your great high priest who's in heaven and you receive mercy and grace in time of need, know that he knows what it's like. He's experienced all of that. So he says, you're all gonna leave me tonight, yet I'm not alone. My father is not gonna leave me. So here's what happens. You have Ahithophel who's jump ship, Absalom entering to Jerusalem. Ahithophel was with him. But who was with David? Well, a lot of people were loyal to David, as we'll see a little bit more. But one thing was true. God was with him. God promises to the Christian in Hebrews 13. This is verses 4 and 5. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Even when God is disciplining you, he hasn't left you. Even when God is allowing something hard in your life, for whatever the reasons are, he has not abandoned you. He's the best friend you will ever have. So don't run from him in trial. Now it came about, verse 16, when Hushai the Archite, remember Hushai's name means quick, he, he kind of showed up when David was praying, as we saw last time. Hushai the Archite was called David's friend. David's friend. He came to Absalom. Hushai said to Absalom, long live the king, long live the king. Now, if you go back to 1537, this is where the account reconnects. We have a little bit of information in 16, 1 through 14. Kind of some of this was happening simultaneously. But here's what it says. In 1537, it says, so Hushai, David's friend, came into the city and Absalom came into Jerusalem. Then we get a little bit more about David. We reconnect with 1537 in 1615. And twice Hushai is called David's friend. I, I did a little homework on this and I was trying to find out if there's anybody else in the Bible that was called David's friend. And the only other thing I could find was something about Hiram, king of Tyre, that had always been a friend of David. But nobody else that I could find and I didn't do an exhaustive, exhaustive search, but this, this seems to be the case. Nobody else I could find is called David's friend. You know, sometimes when someone's in a position of power and authority, we think they have everything that they need. But do you know that some people at the top are the loneliest people in all the world? They don't have a lot of friends. Sometimes because they have few peers, they have few friends. So you may have a boss and you may think, uh, I could never share anything important with my boss or I could never tell this person anything important. No, everybody needs a friend. David needed a friend at this moment of his life more than perhaps anything other than God's presence. And he found a friend in Hushai. And Hushai Wanted to go with David, but David said, no, I've got another plan for you. I want you to go back to Jerusalem because I need a network of people who can tell me what's going on. And so David's friend was Hushai. James 2, 23 and 24 says, the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he, 
Abraham was called the friend of God. I think he's calling right now. You see that a man is justified by works, at least to human beings, and not by faith alone. Abraham was called the friend of God. Do you know why? Because he trusted God, number one, and because he was willing to put action to that trust. He trusted God. Friendship is built on trust. If you have a good friend, and by the way, you don't have to have 10 best friends. If you have a small circle of good friends, count yourself blessed. Friendship is built on trust. And it goes two ways. And when Hushai, in verse 16, says, long live the king, he's there before Absalom. He came to Absalom. Absalom had come into the city. David had Departed from the city, there was heaviness, there was tears. And Hushai said to Absalom, long live the king, long live the king. Did he say, long live King Absalom? No, he just said, long live the king. Which king do you think he was talking about? David. In fact, you're going to find out that Hushai the archite is very good at what we might call doublespeak. He was saying things to Absalom that made Absalom believe that he was talking about him. And the whole time he was talking about David. So Absalom is sitting there, you know, trying to usurp the throne of David. And he thinks that Hushai's jumped ship as well. But Hushai hasn't. When he says, long live the king, he's actually saying, long live David. May God bless his life. He was David's friend. Friends are loyal. No matter what may be happening with power and position, friends are loyal. Abraham was called a friend of God. This is uh, talked about in Isaiah. So go over to Isaiah. You're going to go to your right. Pass up the Psalms and Proverbs. Isaiah 41. I want to show you where this comes from. The book of James picks this up in James 2, but it actually comes from Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41, and here's what it says. You might be wondering about this idea, a friend of God. Check it out. This is Isaiah 41, verse 8. Isaiah 41, 8. But you, Israel, my servant, 41, 8, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, the nation of Israel came from Abram or Abraham, Descendant of Abraham, what's God call him? My friend. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts, said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You descend from Abraham. He was my friend. And you are the ones that I've chosen as my friends as well. See the word friend there? In many other places, it's re'e. It's a word that can mean companion or friend like we would define it. But here, the word friend is actually the Hebrew word ahav. Let me spell spell it for you. It's A-H-A-V, ahav, ahav. The word For friend here is the Hebrew word for love. So here's how you could render it. Descendant of Abraham, my love. Friendship is about love. In fact, if you go to a marriage counselor and you talk to a marriage counselor, they'll say to you, one of the most important things in your marriage is that your spouse is your friend. Because there's many other things in your life that can wane. But friendship can stay true no matter what the season might be. No matter what may be going on in life. The word for friend is ahav. Now listen to this. Jesenius tells us that this word 
means to desire or to breathe after. Jewish teaching says that the sound of the deer panting after the water and of King David desiring God is heard in the sound ahav or love, or the Hebrew word for love. Try saying it as if you were panting and you will see what they mean. That's what it's about. It's about a friend. And when we are in a trial, we long for a friend. Turn over to Psalm 41, just a little bit back. Psalm 41. I mentioned that David wrote a bunch of psalms during this time. Some of the psalms that he wrote may be credited to others, and I'll talk to you about that in a second, but the first one I want you to see is Psalm 41. This is a psalm of David. This is where he talks about Ahithophel's betrayal. Psalm 41, verse 9 says, Even, 41.9, my close friend, the word friend there is the word shalom. Even my peace, even my close friend, my shalom, someone I thought I was at peace with, if you will, in whom I trusted, who ate bread, my bread has what? Lifted up his heel against me. If you haven't written this already, write John 13, 18, because Jesus quotes this about Judas a thousand years later. But thou, O Lord, even though my friend has done this, thou, O Lord, be gracious to me. Raise me up that I may repay them. By this, I know that thou art pleased with me because my enemy does not shout in triumph over me. And sadly, Ahithophel, his good friend, and even Absalom would become his enemy. As for me, thou dost uphold me in my integrity. Thou dost set me in thy presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. And amen. Now, these psalms that follow one another, if you look at the next psalm, it says, For the choir director, a mascal of the sons of Korah. That's who kind of wrote the music, if you will. But who wrote these words? I started reading Psalm 42, and I was thinking, you know, this seems like it had to be written in the time of Absalom. And I was sitting in my office and thinking, could that be the case? And I started to look at some commentaries, and the first commentary I went to was the pulpit commentary, and the pulpit commentary says these, this about Psalm 42. The composition, though assigned by some to the commencement of the Babylonian captivity, belongs more probably to the time of David, and the words seem put by the author into the mouth of David himself. The psalm is chiefly an outpouring of sorrow and complaint, but is still instruction inasmuch as it teaches the lessons of, in the deepest gulf of sorrow. The soul may still turn to God. Now, I want you to think about what that commentary just said, that it's probably written during the time of Absalom. Think about the word love, and here's what David says. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears, remember all the crying as they left Jerusalem, have been my food day and night. While they say to me, think of Shammai and others, all day long, where is your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. Think about it. David had to leave the city of God. He sent the ark back and he didn't even know if he would be back again. I used to go in procession to the house of God, I used to be able to go to church all the time. There are some people that are shut-ins this morning. They can't physically get to church. There's things that we take for granted. Week in and week out, we don't know if they're going to last. David says, I used to go in procession to the house of God with a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. And then David said, why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. He's the best friend ever. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember thee from the land of the Jordan. That's where they were headed. The peaks of Hermon from Mount Mitzar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of thy waterfalls. All thy breakers and thy waves have rolled over me. Lord, I know you're doing something disciplinary. 
The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. I wonder when Jesus was in Gethsemane if some of these psalms came to his heart. Psalms on during David's dark night. Vindicate me, Psalm 43, verse one. Seems like an extra stanza on to Psalm 42. Vindicate me, O God. Plead my case against an ungodly nation. Deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For thou art the God of my strength. Why hast thou rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me, let them bring me to thy holy hill and to thy dwelling places. In other words, I want to go back. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and upon the lyre I shall praise thee, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Who is David's best friend in his trial? God. He cried out to the Lord. And in fact, some of the most profound psalms that we can relate to the most were written during David's major trials. As much as the tears flowed down, the psalms flowed out of the pen. And some of your most profound times of spiritual growth and depth may be in times similar. As I said last week, hanging in there through trials, we don't like trials, but trials are often what God uses to shape us the best. (laughs) Oh, I wish it were different. I know. I'm with you. But this is what God does. Now, David did have another friend. Go back to 2 Samuel. But he had lost him. He lost him. That friend was Jonathan. In fact, the Bible says that the soul of Jonathan and the soul of David were knit together in a bond of love. But on the night when Saul went to the medium and he was desperate to hear something, he had broken God's law because God stopped talking to him because of Saul's rebellion. The next day, Saul would die and his sons with him. And sadly for David, he lost his good friend, Jonathan. They had made a covenant of friendship. You could call it a royal friendship. Listen to these words. This is, in fact, it's so good. I just got to show it to you. First Samuel. <laughs> Go back. First Samuel. This is, this is something I want you to see because I think this is the essence of it. First Samuel 18, look at verse one. Just the book before. So this is when the covenant of friendship is being made. Now, 1 Samuel 18, 1, it says, Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of, the soul of Jonathan, 1 Samuel 18, 1, was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved, same word, Ahav. He loved him. Jonathan loved David as what? As himself. And the royal law in James chapter 2, verse 8, says if you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Could it be that the mention of the royal law goes all the way back to Jonathan and David, by the way, who were both royalty. Jonathan was Saul's son, and by all rights, he was supposed to be the heir to the throne, but he knew that David was actually God's choice. And he essentially said, I know that God's chosen you, but I'm not gonna stop loving you just because God's chosen you over me. 
You are my friend. And he loved David as he loved himself. And the Bible says that the two great commandments of the law are both about love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know that that command is about friendship? Because you will love a true friend the way the Bible tells you to love. Now, to love someone as you love yourself. Now, pe people say, oh, this is where the Bible teaches it. Here it is. The greatest love of all is to love yourself. Sing it with me, brethren. The greatest love. Now, with all due respect to Whitney Houston, God rest her soul. The greatest love of all is not to love yourself. You already do. What do you mean, Pastor Michael? I don't know if that's true. The next time you get a group photograph, see who you look for first. It's the one you love the most. Your eyes will go automatically to that person. That person is the one you look at in the mirror every day. The photograph probably will show what you have been used to seeing in the mirror. But we, we like to check. What's my hair look like? You know, that's not my best side. Um, <laughs> we laugh because it's true, right? I look a little fat. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to wear that anymore. <laughs> I thought I looked better than that. I don't, I, did, you, did you hear the conversation going on in your head? I, 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 I. And then you say, oh, who else is in this picture? <laughs> oh, that's right. So-and-so was there and so-and-so and so-and-so. To love someone as you love yourself means you would do the same for them as you would do for yourself. Everybody just take a deep breath. Because the last time I got frozen yogurt, I wasn't thinking about anybody else. <laughs> How many of you like those little sample cups? How many of you fight people for positions in the yogurt store to get to your favorite Flavor. Is it just me? <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> Apparently it is. What if you and I just took the top two commandments and said, you know, this week, I'm just going to start right here. I'm just going to love God and love other people the way I'm supposed to. David had a friend. His name was Hushai. He had lost a friend. Maybe you've lost a friend. I've had some good friends move away. Places like Idaho. I, I don't understand. <laughs> but, but apparently I'm not supposed to. And if you're planning on moving there, that's not a word against you. <laughs> Back in 2 Samuel 16, this is why some of you laughed. Absalom said to Hushai, 17, 16, 17, is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? So Absalom has some questions about Hushai's presence in Jerusalem. He says, look, if you're so loyal to your buddy David, if you're the friend of David, why didn't you go with him? NIV, is this your love you show to your friend? Why didn't you go with your friend? Now, you could feel the gulp in Absalom's throat. <laughs> Is he on to me? I would imagine that you would have gone with your friend if you truly loved him. Then Hushai said to Absalom, no. For whom the Lord, this people, and all the men of Israel have chosen, his will I be, and with him I will remain. Look underneath the surface. Hushai's not talking about Absalom. 
He's talking about David. And David had sent Hushai to Jerusalem into the lion's den because he needed him more in Jerusalem than he needed another mouth to feed and person with him in the wilderness. And so Hushai was willing to risk his very life for his friend. That's the only reason he was there. So ironically, you got to look beneath the surface. He says, whom the Lord, the people, and all the men of Israel, the Lord had chosen David. He was the man after God's own heart. Never did he choose Absalom. His will I be, and with him I will remain. Polycarp, the famous uh, church martyr, said, 80 and six years, he has done me no wrong. I will not recant. He's been my friend for 86 years. He's never done me wrong, and I'm not going anywhere. The man with the legion of demons says, when Jesus had healed him, he's going to get back into the boat. He says, where you go, that's where I want to be. And Jesus says, no, you stay here. And you tell your family and you tell your friends the great things that God has done for you. When a friend asks you to do something, even if they ask you to help them move, it's the true test of friendship, don't you think? That's why I don't buy trucks, by the way. I, I'm really not a true friend. <laughs> Right. But if you move, your true friends will show up. As difficult as that is, right? And we're to remain true. Acts 11.23, it says Barnabas was encouraging the church to be resolute and to remain true to the Lord. Acts 11.23, no matter where the Lord has you, Stay true to him. You may be somewhere right now where you don't want to be. But serve him. Look at verse 19. And besides, whom should I serve? 19. Should I not serve in the presence of his son as I have served in your father's presence? So I will be in your presence. Look beneath the surface. Whom should I serve? Oh, I'm going to serve the true king. And I'll even serve him reading between the lines, in the presence of his son. That's why he was in the court to begin with. As I've been in your father's presence, I will be in yours. It's brilliant the way that Hushai is covering his true intentions. Whom should I serve? That's what we should be asking every day. We're to serve the Lord with gladness, Psalm 100, verse 2. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, Do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. You may be in a position where you don't like your environment. Do your work as unto the Lord. Serve that person as though you were serving the Lord and you'll receive the reward. And Absalom said to Ahithophel, after he had interviewed Hushai and apparently had become convinced that Hushai was authentic, Absalom said to Ahithophel, the man that had abandoned David, give your advice. What shall we do now? <laughs> Wait a minute. You're supposed to be the king. What do you mean, what do we do now? This whole coup thing's going on. You're trying to take your dad's throne. What should we do now? Look, if Absalom was the true king, what should he have done first? He should have gone to the Lord. That's what David did. David inquired of the Lord, 2 Samuel 2.1. Shall we go up? But not Absalom, because Absalom didn't care about God or God's will. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself odious or abhorrent to your father. The hands of all who are with you will also be strengthened. Here, I have an idea for you. You're asking me, here you go. Go and sleep with your father's harem then you'll make yourself abhorrent to your father. Do you all know who Ahithophel was? He was Bathsheba's grandpa. Do you know why he's probably doing what he's doing right now? Because he was hurt. Because David had taken his granddaughter unlawfully, slept with her, and hurt his family and ended up killing Uriah the Hittite who was a good man. And I think that Ahithophel harbored that hurt 
Some of you have some hurt from a friend. And he harbored it, and he found that it was easy now to go over to Absalom's side because really what he wanted was he, he wasn't really loyal to Absalom. He was vengeful to David. Watch out that you don't become part of someone's revenge and get yourself embroiled in a situation that's disastrous. Bitterness loves company. Have you noticed? People will get you on their bandwagon. That's right. I, I don't. Yeah, that's right. That is horrible. You may have never even been thinking that way before. And they'll get you on the, the bitterness bandwagon. It's got a big sign on the side. We're all bitter in here. <laughs> hey, if you do this, Ahithophel says to Absalom, there'll be no turning back. Check it out. This is the end of the account. So they pitched a tent. For Absalom, where? On the roof, where this whole thing started. Because David was up on the roof, saw Bathsheba bathing, committed adultery in his heart, Matthew 5, 28, by lusting after her, and the whole thing unwound. I mean, just take a look. Just, just pause for a second and think, all of this because of that one look. Yeah. And then the actions that followed that one look up on the roof. Oh, it won't hurt anything. I'm just looking. Really? When you get to David, you might ask him about that. When you get to heaven and talk to David. And so he says, hey, let's do this. We'll go up on the roof. And you can be with your father's concubines. He had left them to take care of the house. And do it in the sight of all Israel. And the words echo from Nathan the prophet. What you did in secret will be done publicly. You can write down 2 Samuel 12, 11, and 12. And the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one inquired of the word of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel regarded by both David and Absalom. And you'll notice at the end of 22, Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. When you took the harem in this way, you were declaring that you were the king. This is what Abner did earlier to Ishbosheth, if you remember. When you took your, the harem of the king, this is what you were declaring. I am now the king. Can you imagine word getting to David of what Absalom had done? Do you think that David was still willing to forgive his son? I think so. I think Absalom was being pushed by Ahithophel, but if Absalom would have just stopped or if Ahithophel would have just stopped and said, wait a minute, no, let's stop. But they kept it going. And we're going to see in the next chapter or two that both Absalom and Ahithophel come to tragic ends. Because even though God was disciplining David, he had not left him. I think as we come to a close this morning, we have to ask, what kind of friend am I? <laughs> or maybe... What a friend we have in Jesus. Amen. Would you bow with me? Father, we're just so grateful for what you show us in Scripture. We're grateful for the lessons that they reveal. We're grateful for true friends in our lives. Even the ones that we may not categorize as friends like our spouses, our parents, Co-workers, thank you for people who have been faithful to us over the years. So many that I could count, that I rejoice in. People who pray for me regularly, people who encourage me regularly. Um, it's just such a blessing, Lord. Partners in the ministry. Uh, what a beautiful family of believers this is, Lord. <clears throat> what wonderful deep friendships are here. And even when we have to say goodbye, either when someone leaves the area or 
even when we have to say goodbye to people that we've had to bury. We know in the Lord, it's not goodbye, it's see you later. And Lord, we've had to say over the years, it's been hard uh, to say goodbye to, to many people, but thank you that we have the hope that we're gonna be together again. Thank you for this community of friends. In fact, they're more than friends, they're family. Lord, help us this coming week just to love as you love, to love you with all that we are, to love people around us. And thank you that you came because we fall short. We don't always love you and others the way we're supposed to. And thank you that you fulfilled that for us, but help us to be better, to have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. Would you keep your head and heart bowed? If you've not met Jesus, you don't know his love. You don't know his goodness. You don't know his faithfulness. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've come in here as the last effort to try to find some hope and meaning. Jesus is extending his hand of love. It's a hand of both lordship and friendship. He wants you to follow him, but he wants you to know his love and his goodness. As we were praying before this service, one of the brothers reminded us that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And I pray that if you've not known that love, that kindness, that you'd reach out right now. If you've never settled this question, you don't know that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You've not received him as your Lord, your Savior, your friend. Ask him into your life right now. Something like this. And I would just encourage you, please don't wait another moment. Lord Jesus, pray it if it's you, come into my life. Be my Lord, be my Savior, be my friend. Thank you that you were willing to die on that cross for me, that you rose from the dead. I put my trust in you. I repent of my sin. Lord, please forgive me. Set my feet upon the solid rock of Christ. Lord, for those who may need some healing, where some of these subjects have brought up some pain, I pray that you would be the healing balm of Gilead for them, put salve on the wound, and help them to move forward. And for those of, of us who may just have sat here and we're just counting blessings for all the good people you've put in our lives, Lord, we're just so thankful. And we pray that we would tell them how much we appreciate them. And I want to end by saying, Lord, thank you that you are the greatest friend in all the world and that you are faithful to the end. And we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name.